I'm not I'm not going to bet against the the next generation, and it kind of hurts me to say I'm not I'm not in that because I still feel, <laughs> I still feel like that kid that uh, in 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 undergrad trying to figure out what I was going to major in. Boom! Live from the uh, the Chesapeake HQ. Yeah, on President's Day. Might, I might be the only one here other than the ops guys. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Uh, you know, do, yeah, ops don't stop on President's Day or no. any holiday uh, that matter. This is uh, no, they this do not. This is a classic Chesapeake office setup. Uh, also known as the American Energy Partners uh, setup. You know, it's just. Uh, there, there's a there's a litany of offices in Oklahoma City who look exactly like this in varying shape or form. Well, I've been in maybe one, two, three, been about in five or six of them uh, uh, on this campus over the last seven years. But uh, this one I like because it's on the fifth floor and it forces me to walk upstairs. And everyone's, I saw something about everyone moving into a different building or something. Yeah, I think it'll take a while, um, but um, you know, it, when the uh, merger with Southwestern closes, uh, you know, in, in, if and when, I guess I should say, uh, but I, I, I certainly hope it's when, uh, we'll all move to uh, Building 15. I'm pointing that way because that's the direction of Building 15, uh, where everyone can fit in one building, which will be uh, really nice to be all all together in uh, in one building. It's it, it's funny how. Uh, obstacles like walking to other buildings and being apart can get in the way of, uh, or it just can make, you know, collaboration and, yeah. uh, and, and things like that harder adds another barrier. So what's that? You got to reduce your step count though. I know, I know. So hopefully I get a, 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 a floor on a higher, uh, higher building or higher Hopefully, I'm on a higher floor, or I can just pick one of the many parking lots on campus and and and, and force myself to walk from there. You can take some more walking meetings. Um, okay, well, good deal. Uh, so let's get into it, Jim. You uh, did not grow up in any of the major oil and gas cities. You grew up not in Houston, not in Midland, not in Oklahoma City. Uh, you, it, it sounds like you're one of the few people who grew up in the Northeast and sort of went into uh, the oil and gas business. Yeah, I grew up in the uh, industrial uh, sort of haven of, of, of Madison, Connecticut, uh, <laughs> located on, on uh, it's basically right smack dab in the middle of the state on Long Island Sound. Um, yeah, my father was a research pharmacist at Bayer, which is in West Haven. And uh, yeah, I never, the only thing I thought about uh, or knew of the oil industry growing up was like the Beverly Hillbillies uh, watching reruns when I was home sick from school, and then my father complaining about the heating oil guy coming in the uh, in the winter and the and the bills from that. that, that that's about that was about my exposure. Yeah, ni neither too relevant to what we uh, what we talk about daily now. Uh, okay, so then you go to school, sort of in upstate New York. Uh, you then get. A master's in geology from uh, where was it? You were in University Idaho? of Idaho. University of Idaho, and then you sort of start at Anadarko a couple of years after that. Well, what was the gap between that and Anadarko? 
Oh, uh, like a couple weeks. Yeah, I uh, yeah I graduated and basically fished my way from uh, Idaho to to Texas over the course of a week. I I, I remember um, what was his name? He's a wonderful man. Uh, the, and the reason he was a wonderful man is that it was the HR. Uh, Dick Lewis was his name. He was the head of HR at Anadarko. Called me on a Thursday, or maybe a Wednesday or Thursday of the week I got into town. I was supposed to call. I was supposed to start the following Monday, and he asked me where I was, and I told him I had just arrived, and uh, you know, I was planning on coming on a Monday. And he said, "Well, you know, if you come in on Friday, uh, which was the last day in June, uh, you'll be able to take vacation. Uh, if you come in on Monday, you won't be able to take vacation until uh, until the following year." And I said, I will see you on Friday, Mr. Lewis. Uh, <laughs> well, that's very good. He set that up for you. Yeah, absolutely. You ended up not spending too much time in Houston. It sounds like you went to, what was it, Jakarta? You went to Indonesia. Yeah, I started my career in Houston, uh, or the Woodlands, really, which was very different than the Woodlands uh, today. Yeah. They were like... Yeah two decent restaurants to go out to uh, when you wanted a, a, a nice meal, Perry's and Amerigo's. Uh, and yeah, I worked there for a little over four years and I got the opportunity to work uh, International New Ventures and Anadarko had a joint venture with an Indonesian company called Medco, which had, uh, it's like the largest leaseholder in Indonesia behind Pertamina, the, former uh, national oil company and we had this exploration joint venture where you drill to earn 40 percent interest in any block that they operated uh, upon the approval of a uh, upon a discovery essentially and they won't let you take data out of the country uh, you have to work uh, uh, all the subsurface data in country so it forces companies uh, international companies to have a technical staff presence and and no one else wanted to go and I, I kept my my hand raised and uh, I finally got picked on spent about four years over there came back in 2010 in April uh, into a planning job which included oversight of the uh, exploration acreage in Gulf of Mexico uh, and April was April of 2010 was uh, the month of Macondo uh, so, so so that was an interesting uh, uh, reintroduction to the United States. Uh, yeah, and I worked at Anadarko in a variety of different roles, but West Africa exploration, um, uh, other international exploration, was in investor relations uh, when I decided to make the shift to Chesapeake in 2017. And so now you've been an OKC fellow, yes, for OKC brethren. You're joining the OKC Boys Club, uh, hopefully the OKC Bourbon Boys Club uh here since 2017 so now it's, i mean we're getting close we're getting close to the decade now uh, most of the roles it's centered around exploration uh and then sort of call it it sounds like about two years became sort of this hybrid between thinking about exploration but also thinking about new energy ventures yeah um Definitely a big focus on exploration throughout my career, and it shifted uh, the, the the shift to Chesapeake. Uh, I, I really had a gap in my uh, experience in terms of onshore unconventionals. Uh, when I worked international, or right before that, 
uh, I was fortunate to be on the team, uh, the Permian team that put together the uh, acreage position that uh, Anadarko had in the Delaware Basin. But that was for vertical, um, unconventionals, stacked, Pennsylvanian-aged, overpressured gas reservoirs, which uh, at, at, back then you couldn't get oil out of, uh, out of shale, sure. so the Wolf Camp wasn't a thing uh, until it was. And um, so, yeah, I made the shift to Chesapeake, uh, still in an exploration capacity, but then it shifted into uh, helping out with our geoscience technology teams and, and then more of, a, more of a development role, really, um, for um, you know, supporting the core assets. And then uh, most recently, as you said, in uh, new energy ventures. Coming out of um, restructuring, there was a, a, a clear strategic shift to uh, natural gas in terms of our, our portfolio focus. Uh, I guess back, back to where it all began for, for Chesapeake, really. Um, yeah. Uh, focusing on on the premier assets in our portfolio and a, uh, a a focus on reliable, affordable, lower carbon energy. And with that came a net zero pledge. With that came a need to diversify the business or start to begin thinking about diversifying the business into adjacent um, areas that could help us achieve that net zero goal. Um, we currently, and never say never, but um, we want to be involved in projects. We want to be involved in projects that have the potential uh, to, to, to generate environmental attributes or offsets rather than trading in a carbon market. Um, so uh, on our new ventures team, which was mainly oil and gas focused at the time, uh, there were a, a couple folks that kind of had clandestine skunk work projects going on and we're interested in things like CCS as well as geothermal um, and we th then that became a, a real focus we have a small team and then we leverage the um, the expertise across the organization uh, to, uh, you know as as projects um, evolve you and I have spent some time talking through this which is I think when the original view around oil and gas being involved in new energies, and specifically, let's call it independence, not, not sort of the majors playing this category, there was not exactly clarity on day one of what that meant. What are the subsectors that are interesting? What are the subsectors that are uninteresting? And that took a while to sort of develop. How long do you think before you guys got your, it sounds like you've got a view around geothermal, CCS, how long did it take before you sort of had to go through the pain and agony of saying no to a lot of things before you got to that sort of, okay, yeah. we like these. No, uh, very good question. Um, and it, it's something we, we consistently revisit. Um, we, we had a little bit of a head start on, on geothermal uh, and then CCS projects sort of closely followed that. But initially, for about, I would say, it was at least three, four months, uh, we had an open choke, kind of looked, looked across the spectrum and evaluated a lot of different things, um, it's many of which are very, very interesting. Uh, but when you're developing a strategy in a, in a small team, especially the company the size of Chesapeake, you have to understand, the you have to take the corporate priorities, the kind of time frames, and and your resources, be it capital or, or human, into 
uh, into the equation and then you have to choose like what are you not going to do and that's that that's i find that that's the hardest thing in setting a strategy um is focusing on and it's very clarifying when you can do it like okay we are yep. not going to look at this because then when opportunity x y or z uh, comes across your your desk you, you can say no i you know that that isn't our focus thank you um having said that <laughs> you always have to keep a little bit of an open mind because things change. Uh, th things change within the company. Um, the, 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 um, the outlook of the macro changes. Those spaces evolve and change and may de-risk too. So you, you need to keep it evergreen. But I, I would say it was about, it was about three to four months. Um, and I personally was a little bit uh, concerned isn't the right word, but we tried to be very open and uh, about our biases in the, in, in the small team of like, okay, just because we've had a little bit of head start on geothermal, are, are, is this just confirmation bias? Are we, sure. are, are we um, focusing on it and convincing ourselves we're right or not? And, you know, we, we got feedback uh, from the board, from the executives, from uh, peers throughout the organization and, and really chose to focus on things that were adjacent um, adjacent to our core competencies, things that we could be involved in projects, not just from a capital funding standpoint, but bring something to the table in terms of expertise. And uh, geothermal, uh, CCS, uh, and, and most recently uh, energy storage um, all, all, all fit that bill. Uh, the other area uh, our team gets involved a lot uh, with is primarily led by the marketing arm, our low carbon uh, um, marketing team led by a guy named Mike Franklin, uh, who's in, in the uh, Jason Kurtz's uh, organization. Um, any, mar any blue, I, I hate to get into the, into the color spectrum here, but uh, derivatives of natural gas that are part of the energy transition, be it uh, liquefied ammonia, uh, it, things related to LNG, LNG projects or ammonia or blue hydrogen projects that uh, may have a need for CCS associated with them. We also support um, endeavors like that. We don't, uh, the main example of that is our uh, NG3 pipeline project with, uh, with Momentum, which uh, takes untreated gas from the Haynesville, which has naturally occurring CO2 uh, in the gas. Um, and then we'll treat it centrally in, in Gillis at the terminus of the pipeline, just there north of Lake Charles in the LNG corridor. Uh, and then um, our, our part of the, uh, of the partnership with, with Momentum, um, we contribute our, our mind share as well as our capital uh, to, to help out on the subsurface sequestration uh, strategy and, and side, of the, uh, side of the business, whereas they they, they clearly have the pipeline and the midstream piece uh, down, so. Yeah, I, I think we've talked ad nauseum about uh, Louisiana-related, uh, let's say natural gas treating-related CCS. Feels like the most natural area where oil and gas companies will play a space in CCS, uh, particularly Louisiana where you know, the pore space kind of works out, the emissions are not gas treated, so they're sort of there, readily available. 
and uh, they're, you know, in some ways, something you have some degree of control over. And for a variety of reasons, much easier to get a few things done from a regulatory right of way perspective than, let's say, other jurisdictions. Everywhere's got, you know, so, some sort of um, headwinds is probably the right way to think about it. Uh, but Louisiana feels like it's a little more contained and probably at least something where we know oil and gas companies will play a pretty big role soon enough. Yeah, and, and, and Chesapeake's presence there within the Haynesville and, and focus on um, exposure to the LNG markets, which is a, a big part of our, our strategy, which has been in the, in the news lately. Uh, it makes all the sense in the world. We're, we're also blessed with a, uh, a amazing subsurface data set, whether it's seismic data, well data, uh, uh, reservoir data, um, and then the teams and the expertise to evaluate uh, the pore space and all the skill sets, uh, mainly conventional sort of reservoir characterization skill sets. Uh, I mean, it fits hand in glove with, with uh, identifying uh, reservoirs appropriate for, um, well, we're, we're mainly focused there in saline aquifer um, storage. And uh, yeah, the pore space there and the geography is, uh, uh, very beneficial to that. We, we've we, we've screened and been involved in some other evaluations uh, in uh, in other parts of uh, of the U.S. where there's much older rock uh, that's that's been buried a lot deeper. That's uh, that just does not have uh, the pore space and the and the characteristics that the rock and the Gulf Coast has, um, yep. which you know, whatever you want to call it, core, core CCS acreage, there is a core fairway sure. uh, along the Gulf Coast onshore and offshore. And then, you know, second to third, fourth tier rock uh, <laughs> that also exists. Um, and w when you're talking about something that's, uh, uh, you know, mainly incentivized by, by the RRA and by tax credits, yep. the 45Q, um, the economics aren't hugely robust. I mean, the, the, all that definitely incentivizes all of, uh, you know, the projects that are going on. But in terms of if you're going to focus on projects and you uh, are interested in, uh, you know, more attractive, uh, more attractive subsurface characteristics for uh, larger, longer duration storage, Gulf Coast, Coast is, the, is the place to be. And it helps out, uh, like, I think it just worked out that, hey, that's where there's a better, call it CO2 in the gas stream also, right? And uh, marry that with, that's probably where the demand for the blue products is going to be because of the Gulf Coast export. So, you know, all things considered, look, there was a big push that Appalachia would have some characteristics where this would be exciting. But all things considered, like, it sort of works out better where, hey, where there's more CO2 in the gas stream, uh, there's also the demand for the ultimate blue or green product, uh, you know, and you've got that pore space. Like it kind of checked it and, out. And 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 I mean, it's in, it's implied in everything you're saying there. But the uh, the existing infrastructure, the existing CO2 pipelines, one of the yeah. only hydrogen pipelines uh, uh, that that exists. All the industrial, um, you know, petrochemical plants and and yeah. and, and, uh, and other industry that's using those products where yep. there's a demand. There's also emissions associated with them. Um, 
the the infrastructure uh, it, it's super fortuitous if you were to put what you know subsurface folks call a, a play fairway analysis together where you put critical elements of the subsurface and, and you overlay them um, and it's sort of like a stoplight map um, it would all be green including existing uh, existing uh, infrastructure which is increasingly challenging to to build in this country regardless of uh, what the chemistry of the uh, sure. gas is that you want to put in the pipeline. I think that's a part of the problem we've talked about, which is energy transition is a far less permissionless business than where the oil and gas business sits today because of the existing for, uh, infrastructure, because of how easy it is, generally speaking, to get permits. Like We've gotten very good at doing what we're doing, and you can do things in a very short time cycle. CCS is is something that was expected to be sort of framed that same way, but it takes a much longer time horizon than we're used to in call it a short cycle time business. Uh, t t t time horizon for permitting, you're, you're breaking new ground, the nature of the assets and uh, the monitoring plans uh, um, and the duration that you're going to you know own and operate a, 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 a subsurface yeah. Uh, you know, a, a storage site is way different than uh, short cycle onshore U.S. high decline yeah. uh, 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 shale wells, right? Um, right. So it, it's it, it's going to take companies with a strong balance sheet um, with that are you know thinking longer, um, and it's. It, it, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. I definitely think there is a, uh, there clearly is, because there's companies that are that are doing very well at it, um, uh, a niche for, for pure play folks that want to uh, own and operate or, or contract operate on, on behalf of, some, of, a, uh, uh, of an operator. But the risk pr profile, and I don't mean that it's super risky, but just, uh, Subsurface uncertainty is something that oil and gas companies are very in tune with. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's something we swim around in uh, every day and we're comfortable with. It's very different than the uncertainty profile um, of uh, of a pipeline project. Right. Uh, uh, and the the types of companies and and their financial backers. Uh, need to appreciate that and it, and it may attract a, a you know a, a different sort of class uh, of company or or investor that that's interested uh, in that um, it, anyway it's fascinating to see it's, it'll be it is has been and will be uh, fascinating to see it evolve uh, I, I think it's um, yeah it, it's going to happen it's happening it's happening a little bit slower than I thought it would Right. Um, if you asked me uh, a couple of years ago, but a couple of years ago isn't isn't that long, really. No, not um, at all. No. Not at all. But there was certainly that big hype. Um, and have you seen some projects come and go? Certainly looks like big takeaway is it's really a big boy game, right? Like you've got to take a much longer term uh, time horizon and have the balance sheet, the pockets, the longevity to sort of make that work. And so if you think about the spectrum of the projects we're talking about, CCS probably sits on this very long time horizon needs a lot of permission and a lot of boxes to be checked by others best suited for really really big companies 
we sort of it's think very about it. it's very it's similar but different to uh i, I wasn't directly involved in the uh, mozambique discoveries yeah. at anadarko uh but i was you know, literally down the hall from the folks that were um and the the lng mindset of, of building a long-term uh lng facility you know sourced by your own feedstock um living through and watching that that cultural change and the light bulbs go on uh, with anadarko once you saw what a project like that did to your portfolio uh we were fortunate to run you know 10-year portfolio cases when you when you I remember the day we put in the, the the first LNG case, and it was like this brick of cash that 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 <laughs> you know that got injected into your uh, into your portfolio, and it was like, wow, I see what all the all the majors are doing, um, and it's incredibly long duration. It's hugely yeah. capital intensive. Um, it, it's a very different game than you know, offshore conventional oil production, that's for sure. Uh, and Mozambique, by the way, still isn't producing uh, yeah. <laughs> in, uh, today. But, but Total is, uh, you know, a great shepherd of those assets. And uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking for the day, look, looking forward to the day that, uh, that, that that's online for, for the people of Mozambique um, uh, in particular. That, that was a cool part of uh, yeah. like kind of a sidebar, but very cool part of being involved in international exploration is you got to see a side of uh, of energy where you could be an international uh, oil company, which my friends back home uh, in the Northeast still give me uh, a lot of flack about that I'm a I'm a sellout and I'm a terrible person. But when you when you go over and you spend time in those countries and you see what they have and what they don't have. And when you're part of projects that literally change the face of their economy, sure. uh, change, uh, change generations, um, you know, build new hospitals, build uh, new uni university programs and give career paths for, uh, for folks that didn't exist before. It's a pretty, um, it's a pretty cool uh, thing to be involved with um, uh, and not a perspective that I appreciated uh, growing up in uh, suburbia in in, sure. in Connecticut, uh, and and I never thought in a million years I'd uh, live in Oklahoma uh, back then, uh, doing doing what I'm doing now. But feel feel pretty fortunate uh, to be doing so. Well, that's awesome. So okay, so we we'll, we we'll cover CCS a little bit. Let's move into something that is a little more permissionless, but still requires. Um, some cooperation, particularly on the offtake side, which is geothermal. Um, and obviously there's a couple different ways uh, that oil and gas companies are getting involved there. Uh, and then there's a couple different ways that service companies are getting more uh, involved there, more on the technology side. Uh, what do you think is, is sort of this, you, you guys have obviously made uh, some investment, uh, spending some mind share there. How do you think about like, call it this next few years of investment in mindshare in that category yeah I, I i think it's very exciting and uh and you know what what we call not just only us but next gen geothermal so geothermal beyond uh conventional geothermal res reservoirs that are uh shallow and easily accessible and unique in unique geologic uh, uh settings um 
there's I don't know who the winners are uh, and, and which technologies are going to work and which won't. But uh, our approach is to you know evaluate, take a portfolio approach and evaluate uh, several technologies that um, that are contenders, right? Um, yeah, that, that, that can work in, in in potentially a variety of different uh, different areas. So uh, we're looking at closed loop. Uh, technologies, whether it's wellbore repurposing, uh, in specifically related to our our Haynesville asset, the Haynesville Shale, uh, and that basin is is the hottest basin that's uh, the companies are actively drilling in today with reservoir temperatures, uh, you know, uh, on the on the high end, uh, 400 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which if you could transfer that heat to the surface anywhere above 300 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, that's in that's in a sweet spot for uh, geothermal uh, you know, power generation and if you have use for the heat, uh, for, for direct heat uses. Um, and there's also a romance around potentially converting a liability, a P&A yeah. candidate uh, uh, gas well, uh, in, into an asset. Uh, the reality of that, though, um, as, as we've looked at it, the potential's there, uh, but to do it at scale, just the engineering and the geometry, of the, you know, the, the size of the well bores, um, the mechanical integrity of the well bores, yeah. uh, things like that, it, it is. Um, it can be a little bit of finding a needle in the haystack. Uh, having said that, uh, you know, we haven't we haven't given up there, and there's always the potential to. Um, Drill, drill a new well, uh, and even to do EGS, uh, which is enhanced geothermal systems, which would be flowing water or some other fluid uh, through fractures, uh, induced fractures in the shale, harvesting the heat through through conduction. Basically, what Furbo is doing in in uh, in conventional rock, but doing it in in shale. Um, and then uh, we're also looking at. Uh, we're also involved in a project with Ever, uh, with the Department of, of Defense on Joint Base San Antonio, uh, doing a feasibility study, testing out their uh, advanced geothermal system, uh, AGS, all, all these acronyms, uh, which is basically drilling a, a radiator uh, in, in the subsurface, uh, two vertical wells that go down, split into, into laterals that meet each other, and then through a thermal siphon, siphon effect, um, uh, uh, generate flow, and you have a heat exchanger at the surface to uh, uh, take that uh, heat, uh, transfer it to a working fluid to then generate steam and generate power and or harness the uh, direct heat for, for uses. So uh, there, there are several... Are pilot in Germany right now? Is that right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're actively drilling a, a pilot in Gerritsried, Germany. Um, and that you'll do some version, yeah. Obviously, I, I don't know how much you can share, how much you can't, but uh, you'll you'll take some version of that data and say, okay, hey, what works here to independently power a base, for example, for the DoD. We're we're basically evaluating the the geologic resource under the base to see which version of an Everloop uh, is most appropriate. So they have versions of Everloops. Uh, that I, I, I might uh, I might get all the 1.0s and 2.0s uh, wrong, but I, uh, th there's one that's um, 
design for a sedimentary basin, which is what they're doing in Garrett's Reed, which uh, the radiator section is basically horizontal um, or, or uh, flat. Um, yep. And then there's a Everloop 2.0, which is inclined uh, or, or deviated. So as you go down the wellbore, you're exposing the, um, the fluid to, to uh, more and more heat. Um, which which can also be uh, much more efficient, uh, and it, it basically it, it, you have to understand and characterize the resource, understand the rock, the geomechanics, as well as uh, the thermal properties of everything to to figure out which um, which version of their technology will work best. Uh, the, the the great thing is that they're involved in several projects, and the first commercial one at Garrett's Reed, they're going to learn a lot about. Uh, you know, uh, drilling parameters, efficiencies of meeting the well bores together, um, and uh, and hopefully we'll get to benefit um, from some of that in, yep. in, in San Antonio. Um, and you have an off-taker there that is uh, very, very motivated to have um, resilient baseload power that's behind the meter. Um, uh, which is very important to Chesapeake strategy. The the whole all the all the uh, technologies we're evaluating have the potential to be used behind the meter. What do I mean by that? I mean not selling power into the grid, um, but co-locating a technology with an off-taker, where you have the chance to quantify the decarbonization uh, uh, offsets and generate um, uh, uh, or footprint um, and. And the ability to generate an offset. Uh, I think I said that wrong, but uh, but 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 hopefully you get the picture. Um, basically, qu you can quantify the carbon footprint of someone's energy use, be yeah. it an industrial plant that has a natural gas uh, generation on site because because they either need heat or uh, reliable power, uh, and they get a component of that power from the grid. You can quantify the carbon footprint of that, and if you're supplementing their power and heat with geothermal and or energy storage, um, yeah, you can quantify that difference, uh, get a get a, um, uh, an offset verified, and that's part and parcel of, of our interest in being de-risking these technologies and, uh, uh, and being part of them at the project level so we can count them towards our net zero goal. Um, something I, I usually say right off the bat when someone brings up, you know, geothermal is there's all these PowerPoint uh, power plants. Uh, yep. Everyone's got one. Everyone's got their their thing, and and uh, and, and I get it. Um, uh, I would too if if I was playing in that space. But what we need is more tests in the ground, um, and we need more more innovation because there's going to be things that you just don't know, and you don't know and, until you until you encounter them. Uh, and it's going to need just like the shale, you know, revolution. Uh, and horizontal drilling and fracking that took time, that took uh, trial and error, uh, and hundreds that of millions took... of, of capex that oh. was you know, you know, destroyed at least on on the well level, and then that data that you know sort of gave way to the next generation being able to figure it out, right? Yeah, well, and there's a couple cool things to talk about there that tie into your your first question is you know operators were definitely facilitated. Uh, all that technology transfer, but if if you think about it, it was the multiple operators in the same basin trying a lot of different things yep. with a small group of service companies. 
that then were developing and and uh, developing that tech and perfecting it, and then transferring that knowledge quickly uh, yeah. th th through 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 everybody else. So we need that same level of investment, those same right. um, uh, swings at the bat, really, uh, to to perfect all these things because it's it's anyway. I, I think it has a lot of potential. I think the technology needs to be de-risked and advanced. And one of the real challenges I see um, is the demand for all this uh, often is uh, large household name tech companies that have yep. you know net zero pledges and or 100% renewable electron pledges. Well, uh, often when you talk to these folks, they ask you, okay, how much will you sign a power purchase agreement for? How much can you deliver geothermal energy? And, and really the question is, are you willing to de-risk these technologies with me and participate in a, you know, in, in a project so I can answer that question? Um, and it's, right. it's going to take more than Chesapeake. Uh, you know, Devin is, uh, you know, down the road is, uh, you know, keen on, on geothermal as are, you know, Chevron and a lot of other companies I'm, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting to mention and a lot of the service companies, but we need a quantum of what's being invested now to, right. to really propel it. And, and we also need the folks that want, uh, you know, the off takers to, to share in, in that risk right. in some way, shape or form to, to kind of incentivize, um, the innovation there is help from you know production tax credits and and there are is you know are a couple things in the ira uh but geothermal definitely didn't get the love that ccs and Absolutely and hydrogen did in the in the last it, round it's uh it's clear to me uh which is i think on a long enough time horizon all you know like i, th I think your point on behind the meter is actually very good which is we're moving to a world where utilities can't catch up, like too much regulatory red tape. So what happens? Twofold exercise happens. The big companies who require power co-locate projects to generate that power and, and do that that way and avoid grid issues, which is kind of nuts because in theory, power should be a commodity that we just like sort of turn on and off that we're used to and just, you know, it is what it is. The other side of the fence is consumers are like, ah, power prices keep going up. Uh, I want renewable power also. I'm just going to do residential solar. Like that, for whatever reason, you know, like it's kind of counterintuitive, right? Like, you know, we, we don't uh, drill our own wells for water. Uh, why would we do that? Like that is the equivalent uh, when I think about uh, resi solar. And that market continues to grow at an astonishing rate. And I don't think that market would grow at an astonishing rate, in my opinion, if it wasn't utilities falling victim to the incredible amount of red tape to get new transmission lines built, to get utility scale or solar projects built, uh, to get all these projects that are sort of in the interconnection queue going. And I think you're gonna see the same thing that you're talking about, which is demand for behind the power projects, geothermal falling under that. The next iteration of that will have to be that those guys become non-op, right? Like Google, Microsoft, Facebook will effectively say, okay, great, we, we agree. We understand the only way we can make this project work for you economically is if we share some of that risk and we'll sort of almost be a cost plus. Uh, I, I think this will end up being a cost plus arrangement 
in the early days that just guarantees you some sort of 20 or 25 percent return or whatever it is maybe even lower but so that way people are like okay but my return hurdle is just enough such that i will take this exploration risk with you and the cost of being wrong is not huge for any one party and the cost of being right or even mildly right is incredibly beneficial for future business right so it is an asymmetric upside bet i think for everybody that's probably where some of these base load exploratory geothermal well and, and and if you're not concerned with directly using those electrons behind the meter uh, and, and adding them to the grid and then using virtual power purchase agreements, uh, you know, what, what Furbo is doing is super exciting. Um, and and, and, and they're, they're learning and innovating. You know, they've been talking about some impre- impressive uh, drilling speed gains yep. and, you know, time gains. And, and, and they're, uh, you know, they had a very uh, uh, successful project there. Uh, and it's, it's exciting to see that evolve. The and I do think a lot of those you know household names are are interested and are you know they're definitely at the table. Uh, it's going to take um, it's just going to take a lot of trial and error and pairing the right technologies and the right geographies uh, and exploiting you know and marrying that. Okay, here's the subsurface characteristics characteristics here. Um, this type of geothermal technology is or or isn't uh, you know viable because not everywhere has a favorable geothermal gradient and and cost is a thing so uh, you can't drill you know down to the moho uh, you know super super deep and uh, um, uh, economically but there are other technologies like um, like what stage what sage is developing with their uh, earth store technology and you saw uh, last week, I think you covered congrats, it. In the, in the uh, congrats on the announcement. Yeah, it's uh, it, it, they had a, a field test of their geothermal technology, which is equally exciting. Uh, but as they were doing the field trial in, in South Texas, they realized, wow, I, I made a battery by drilling a vertical well, uh, creating a, a tall uh, fracture and injecting water into it where they were, um, their geothermal technology relies on conduction of heating that that fluid up in the fracture and then producing it, uh, you know, producing it uh, out of the well bore. Well, in those pump in pump out cycles, they realized that that they made a, a geomechanical uh, battery basically, and uh, you know were, were able to stop and not only focus on uh, their uh, their geothermal um, you know technologies, but they realized that wow, we have something else here that can augment and make our technology better where there's geothermal potential. But it's also applicable over a wide uh, geography, over a wide um, variety of, uh, of geological settings. And, you know, you could have the ability to create long duration battery storage in well bores uh, right next to, let's say, a data center where you have a virtual power purchase agreement um, uh, or nearby wind and solar that, that's creating excess energy that the grid can't take during the day, uh, powering a pump, injecting, basically storing those electrons underground until you need them at night and, and producing the well back. Uh, there's a, 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 a turbine, a Pelton turbine that they've, uh, that they've developed that, you know, it's like pumped hydro, hydro but, it's, right. but it's downhole uh, with much less environmental uh, uh, impact in terms of 
footprint and land use and you don't need you know uh, like Chilean or Brazilian uh, yeah. uh, um, sort of topography uh, to, to, to create and you don't need to harm anadromous fish rivers uh, you know salmon migrating up to, to, to make um, you know dams to, to harness the power we can uh, drill vertical wells and, and store it underground it's pretty pretty elegant and uh, yeah we're, we're, we're excited to see where that goes Hydro still, I think, to date, the most re renewable resource uh, used globally, right? Uh, I believe, like, yeah, by a large yeah, margin. Yeah, right? gravity, gravity works. <laughs> so you know? of all the stuff we've been talking about, you know, CCS being the least permissionless, you know, biggest big boy game, you know, geothermal obviously requiring a lot of other infrastructure and key parties, you know, when I first heard about what you were talking about, I thought I had a couple different takeaways. But the first takeaway I said was, this is probably the least uh, or the most permissionless of all the things you've described, which is, hey, uh, there's going to be a bunch of people where I can go and use this technology with in theory, and I'm not going to run into the same degree of infrastructure limitations or duration limitations or, you know, I need uh, an incredible amount of CapEx just to know whether or not we're, we're headed in the right direction. Like, you know, that, that was my one you know, probably largest takeaway. The second takeaway I had that I thought was the most exciting was you and your team spent a lot of time evaluating geothermal, but from, and I suspect a part of this is your lens, being an exploration guy, it says, look, we're gonna look at this category, we're gonna think about it from a subsurface perspective, and the commercial lens is not exactly dictated quite yet, right? Um, and so what is super interesting is you were like, okay, here's an interesting piece of technology, but the use case for that technology is somewhat counterintuitive, right? Everyone is thinking about geothermal, like what is the number one thing that people say about geothermal power? It's like firm, reliable, baseload power. That is all like, that. that is like, I've heard that line a trillion times. Um, this is like the complete opposite in some way, not from a, you know, intermittent power, but thinking about it as a battery, I thought was, wow. Like I have not well, seen this. I've not heard of this. Well, I, I mean, and, and when we first started thinking about it, it's not something that, that we were looking at, because when you think of batteries, you think of, you know, lithium batteries and everyone talking about, you know, mining, you know, uh, playa lakes and, you know, uh, smack old smack over water and doing direct lithium extraction. And when you we, we took a step back and we looked at the energy storage market and something like I'm not going to get the numbers right, but like. 99 or 95 percent of the energy storage market is pumped hydro it's yeah. like five percent or less is batteries and then uh, you know of that very very little of that is, is long duration which long duration i believe they describe is uh more than four hours and this yeah. solution can can be you know greater than seven it, it can be you know with very little leak off or you know uh, when you're injecting the water to hold the pressure um the amount of fluid that that leaks off to the formation, basically the the, the efficiency of um, do you need to add add water if you're if you're storing it down there? Um, it, it it was pretty compelling, and it was like, wait a yeah. minute, when you take a step back and you think about uh, the commerciality of that as well. So you know, you said 
there is the commercial lens because when we look at things, we're trying to say, all right, w w uh, what's the cost of carbon? What's the chance to, you know, abate a, a, a ton of CO2 equivalent, right? Um, and if you can make any rep, you know, any profit, uh, it's negative, uh, yep. right? So th that's way better than any operational abatement project, which we're, you know, we've done all the low-hanging low fruit or, or most of it. Um, and we continue to, to iterate to uh, uh, limit all um, operational emissions, and we're doing very uh, well at that. Um, and uh, you know, very focused on our uh, responsibly sourced gas uh, certifications, which we uh, uh, you know continue to get and renew. Um, but but then there's just technological uh, uh, limitations after you get to a certain level of. Uh, of methane or or, or uh, CO2 intensity in your operations, and and then there's economical, uh, uh, technological and economical limitations. So then th then you have to go to okay, well, if I can participate in this project and and make some revenue, not revenue to compete with my core natural gas business, uh, but just positive cash flow, uh, I'm I'm at a negative uh, negative cost of carbon. And when you look at when you look at the, the, the commerciality and the market for energy storage, it is huge, That's huge relative to relative to geothermal um, and, and, and the demand for that and the use cases, especially if it's not uh, you know, geographically or, 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 or subsurface limited where you can apply it. Yep. Um, and, and that's that's how we got you know excited about this. Again, we were we were and are, uh, trying to advance geothermal projects and and this uh, fits well this came up. It, it's it's um, it, it when you combine that technology in an area where there's geothermal, the efficiency is over over 200 yeah. percent. Um, so that 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 would be uh, uh, pretty exciting. So and there's more pain in that market right now, right? Like it's 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 much easier to create a solution that let's yeah, you know, like every, most startups that are working on this are gonna create an imperfect solution. It's not gonna be perfect, it probably won't be perfect for 20 years. Much easier to sell an imperfect solution into a market that has an incredible amount of pain. And the energy storage market is one that is, like year over year is probably having even more pain, right? Like how many articles have we seen on grid reliability issues? It's, yeah. it's just, it almost feels like it'll continue, right? And so, uh, I like I like that market segment. Uh, it's, so, it's interesting. You, you know, I, I have a question for you. I mean, you, you started Sonya, um, which is what's that mean? It's Sanskrit for zero. That's right. Right. That energy transition, um, uh, you know, business. Uh, what's the most interesting thing you've seen out there? I mean, and and what are we missing? Are, 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 are we missing something? Is there something that, that an oil and gas company should sh should focus on? Uh, how, how do you think about it? Because you, you're approaching it from a, uh, a different lens than, than we are, that's for sure. Well, I'd say, you know, I'm still an upstream guy in, in a lot of ways spending time here, uh, which, which is an interesting lens, probably a rare lens. Um, if I'm truly looking at optimizing, reducing uh, emissions, I'd say I still buy into the, this narrative, which is, you know, if you could propagate as much natural gas as we humanly can to roll over on coal, there's probably no greater decarbonization technology on Earth. Now, 
the problem is everyone sort of heard that narrative. You know, the amount of action that we could sort of reasonably take on that is probably already happening. I mean, look where nat gas prices are. Like, at least in this country, we're fortunate that it's more or less, you know, right now feels free to me. And that's a big subsidy in, in, my, uh, in, in my view to American manufacturing and, and all of the sort of data center generation that we're going to see in this country. And you know, there's, a, there's an extreme correlation between resource abundance uh, to, your, to your story about what, what resource discovery can do in certain parts of the world that they're not used to seeing, you know, the shale revolution has had in this country. Uh, and it probably gets taken for granted, right? But uh, it's certainly true and continues to be true. From a technology standpoint of what the you know, what, what, are, what are people doing or what are we missing, you know, oil and gas companies have a very unique lens, which is you can play better in things like CCS and geothermal. You have this unique skill set. One technology that I don't think gets talked about enough by oil and gas companies or probably the country in general is all these SMR technologies in nuclear right, which is, hey, you're taking technology that's been around for a really, really long time, you're bringing a new technological lens to it, and you're modularizing it, and it creates an abundant amount of energy. I think on a long enough time horizon, if you can solve the regulatory hurdles, and let's say the popular narrative and fear hurdles, I think nuclear is, without a doubt, a very key component to providing a bunch of clean, reliable energy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's going to really be valuable. Oh, to this look at this. Look at this. I'm gonna, I'm, I don't know if this is allowed, but uh, this is the first time I got exposed to nuclear was in a class uh, uh, <laughs> in, in business school. Uh, and we read this book, The Energy for Future Presidents. And this guy, Richard Muller, was a whatever climate change denier uh he, he right. thought that the temperature data was skewed from sites in urban areas with um uh you know concrete and and, and yeah. local uh, local heating it's supposed to be a narrative for like all right you're the you're the leader of the free world or or uh you know some large country here's what you should know about about energy policy is right. kind of the, the view of the book and it changed the way I, I thought about nuclear um, uh, in a big way. Um, if, if we're serious about climate change and we're serious about lowering the carbon intensity of, of energy production, we should be going all in on nuclear. And uh, we did, our, our team did look at um, not like getting involved in becoming a nuclear company, but use cases for SMRs to electrify our our our, uh, our fields and, and in particular our, our compression um, in in uh, uh, in the Northeast in, in Appalachia. Uh, the problem is the time frame to de-risk and uh, get those technologies approved. Uh, we don't know what our compression needs are going to be in That's 10 right. years, uh, whenever they go. But there's some very exciting things happening out there. Westinghouse has a really cool technology called Evinci. Um, there's other sodium technologies and they're, they're not, um, anyway, it's pretty compelling and it'll be fun to, to see how that works. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm a, uh, I'm definitely personally a, uh, a fan and, and I mean, this is, 
gets old and tired when you're talking energy transition, but sure. there's a great graph that basically shows other than the last, you know, recent history, last decade or so where there's been coal to gas switching, everything's been energy addition. Yeah, it just right. energy demands up, you add a new, uh, there's never been a transition, uh, even even off That's of right. biomass. Um, just need more energy. Yeah, you know, we, we need more and we need dense and we need dense sources and, and reliable sources. And uh, yeah, I, anyway, you're a little bit preaching to the choir there. So it's interesting. You, well, you, uh, by definition, uh, we're preaching to the choir to, to each and, other. And that was totally unplanned. I, I have this sitting up here because it's a cool <laughs> look that, uh, uh, yeah. That... I think NAG gas, I, I think this whole ecosystem of molecules probably stay the way they are. I think we marry that with things that decarbonize those molecules that we continue to use uh, from a fuel perspective. I think natural gas will play an incredibly large part of that in, in sort of decarbonizing that infrastructure of the world. And then I think on the power gen side, nuclear will do a phenomenal job. And so I almost think right now we like sort of take things for granted, like power the grid with natural gas. I think on a long enough time horizon, we'll say, whoa, whoa. Like we should be using this natural gas to help decarbonize all of these fuels, right? It's and, a pretty, uh, it's a pretty amazing, uh, useful molecule. Uh, bingo. And, That's right. Yeah, and and it's uh, it's also uh, super interesting and and fun to uh, explore for and uh, yeah, it, it's uh, yeah I. As a little kid thinking about rocks and with the mineral mineral uh, collection, I I had no idea I'd. Uh, keep thinking about them and, and, and get the chance to, um, you know, work with super talented people uh, um, to, uh, yeah, to, to, to try to help help society, really, at the end of the day. Uh, it sounds a little uh, cliche and corny, but um, it's something I believe. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, you know, everyone talks about net zero 2050 and all this stuff. It's like 2035. You know, 2035, you know, look, the next 25 years, right? Like we're in 2024 or whatever. You know, that's the base of most people's career or they're going to be retired before the whatever it is. What a time to be working in the energy business. Like if you were going to dedicate your life to working on any given industry, you know, like I'm very glad that I get to spend my time with folks like me that are spending time at least thinking about the energy business. Rightfully or wrongfully, we could agree, disagree or whatever. Like, what a great business to be working on. Um, and there's there's a bunch of line of work to me that is just like way less inspiring uh, than what we generally do. And then you know, on the topic broadly of, of you know, what, what are we looking at? What are we missing? I think it's very easy for us to look at our U.S. sort of bubble and think about decarbonizing in the United States. Like, you know, whatever, there's 400 million people here. It's a lot of people. Um, there are more people under the age of 35 in India than there are people in the United States. So, like, when you think through that for a moment and you think all those people are going to live out the rest of their life and they're going to be looking for uh, a status and a rapid change of quality of life, which resembles that of folks in the United States, uh, consumption is not going anywhere. And so, you know, to your point, it's always been energy addition, uh, like whatever these lines that everyone's saying, all of the above, energy addition. We're going to need a lot more power, like period. And uh, so it will be interesting to figure out how can we do that in the safest, most reliable, 
sustainable way. And then, you know, obviously in some sort of lens, it, it, it has to be capitalistically sustainable. Otherwise, it's not really sustainable either, right? Like people have to generate a return here. So it'll be exciting to see that play out as well. I um, agree. I don't know how much time you have. What One thing I did want to ask is you know, right now you're thinking through the world as an operator, but mostly as an investor. You know, so, some combination of those two things as you're thinking about where, where are places that Chesapeake can play? What would you be looking at if you were on the founder side right now in 2024? What's exciting for you? F founder side, um, man, I go, work, Jim. <laughs> I, I, I'd go, I'd go back to the basics. Um, I, I'd go back to, uh, exploration for lack of a better, uh, uh for, for oil and gas. Uh, in, in particular, the gas basins have not been vertically delineated, meaning all the various horizons in them, like in the, you know, the Permian, we saw, well, the, the shale revolution happened, it, it initiated in gas basins. We found the Marcellus, we found the Haynesville, the Fayetteville, uh, and then we realized, oh, wait a minute, we can get oil out of uh, shales as well. Uh, the success of the, uh, you know, in the gas basins caused uh, largely the market or the price of gas to, to, pl to plummet domestically. Um, and everyone focused on, on liquids and oil, uh, the Eagleford and, and the Permian. And all the technological in innovations of horizontal drilling, longer laterals, uh, all the various uh, completion optimization, um, you know, co-development, uh, all, all the stuff and everyone's investor deck had the 2.0, 3.0, you know, you know, et cetera, on the, on the completion iteration. That hasn't really happened in gas basins in, in, in terms of uh, the vertical delineation. And also the, um, the, 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 a lot of the workforce, I don't want to say all because it's not true, uh, grew up uh, in shale and resource plays and the kind of skill sets for conventional exploration which i think are directly applicable to to unconventional exploration and just the exploration mindset uh is not uh prolific uh in the industry it, it is in retired individuals um yeah. uh, that, that, that have left the industry through all the downsizing and consolidation and what's that what that's left in my opinion if you could find uh, someone out there to, uh, to to fund a management team where where they were real you know didn't just want a PDP asset um, to uh, to to drill up um, anyway I think there's tremendous opportunity uh, you know left in the, in the onshore U.S. as well as internationally um, international onshore a lot of the the premier basins. Uh, well, a lot of the majors stopped looking onshore. They looked offshore because it's mm -hmm. uh, for, for a wide variety of reasons. And then onshore, there hasn't been a lot of 3D shot. So there's there's a lot of potential there. Um, probably not what you were wanting, uh, being a, an energy transition uh, a podcast and, and mainly an audience. Uh, but like you said, I still think the world's going to need hydrocarbons, especially natural gas, for a long time. Um, and in terms of where, as a founder, where I could generate the most value 
the quickest, it would be uh, it would be good old oil and gas uh, exploration, probably predominantly onshore, uh, just because I think there's I think there's still a tremendous amount of opportunities there. It's a, it's a fascinating thing to think about, right? Which is all of the last few years um, since there became discipline, call it from the investor base, so don't grow, you know, sort of generate returns in all of U.S. shale independent. Now we're seeing this wave of consolidation that says, hey, yeah. not only do you need to generate returns, the best management team should operate the asset, period. And let's consolidate all this. And it's a strong execution game. You're somewhat right, which is the culture around uh, the guys that were historically doing exploration or taking large-scale risk in a way uh, that they used to, you know, that sort of disappeared not only from big companies, but it's also disappeared from what used to be sort of private equity in oil and yeah. gas. Because oil and gas private equity was not really private equity. Quite frankly, it was, it was oil and gas venture capital, right? Um, mm -hmm. And that was fine because you could take five guys in a truck and effectively say, go lease up some stuff, drill a handful of wells to prove there's productivity, and a bigger company would be in desperate need of that inventory uh, to develop cool. it out and the incentive sort of aligned. Well, and, 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 you know, a couple of years ago, and, and it's happening uh, more and more, there needs to be a price signal to incentivize uh, people to explore organically because the investors, quite frankly, uh, don't want you to do that. Um, uh, you know, from a, from a, a standpoint of, yes, uh, you know, they, they probably do at some level, but um, if it's going to eat into your free cash flow, it's going to eat into your dividend. If it's going to do all that, hey, just you have enough inventory, drill it up. And when there's a price signal, uh, let, let's worry about exploration at that point. But, you know, people are have talked about, I don't know, at least for the past five years, uh, inventory degradation. And, and you're starting to see, um, you know, in, in the write-ups, pick your you know, favorite sell-side analyst or research firm. Uh, kind of roll over and uh, uh, productivity. Well, that's not that surprising from a from a geoscientist point of view. If you're drilling the if, if you've leased the best rock and you're drilling the your right. best wells next, which you should be uh, from just a commercial standpoint. Well, guess what? The next wells aren't going to be as good. And if you're not exploring for more and and, and generating new organic inventory, uh, it, it's a it's a it's a depleting game. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see uh, when that price signal comes. Hopefully, it's not painful for uh, consumers. And then, you know, I mentioned the bit about uh, the skill set not being there. The industry workforce today and the talent in it across all disciplines is phenomenal. It always has been. Incredibly intelligent folks uh, and and innovative. Uh, as well. It's just been focused on uh, operational um, incremental change, right? And with the advent of choose your, your favorite buzzword, AI, machine learning, all, all this technology and commuting, computing power, which has raised the uh, demand for electricity and, and, and everything else, all that combined, I, I think we have the workforce to do it. You, you throw, uh, with, with all this data, you throw the new technology on top of it. And if you can find a, a company culture or company cultures that 
that facilitate and cultivate innovation and creativity and create psychologically safe space where where you're allowed to fail you're actually encouraged you're not encouraged to fail like let's go fail but you know fail from the standpoint of like okay we tried this we made we took a prudent business risk where we characterize the uncertainty we we failed in some way shape or form what did we learn what do you go do next when you have an environment on a team and if you're able to create that environment with a multidisciplinary team uh pretty awesome things can happen and i i mean i i think that uh if we can attract continue to attract the minds that are already in this business to this business i you know i i, I think uh I think the sky's the limit. I think there's a there's a ton of potential out there, um, and uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to bet against the the next generation. And it kind of hurts me to say I'm not I'm not in that because I still feel, <laughs> I still feel like that kid that uh, in 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 undergrad trying to figure out what I was going to major in. Well, it's fun it's fun to see. I mean, I think yeah, you know the 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 point around taking risk is is super fascinating, right? Which is in general ways, the bigger a company gets, the less risks in some ways they're willing to take, uh, which is sort of counterintuitive because the big company could take risks and, and quite frankly, the cost of being wrong is, is not high. Um, for a lot of small companies, the cost of being wrong means they die, but they're forced to take that risk. And so it is, uh, it is a f- it's sort of crazy to see that happen almost every day, right? Well, and, and that, that used to be the case. That was the case of, uh, you know, that era of the super independence um, that would go de-risk, you know, international basins. And then, you know, the Exxons and the like would come in and, and, and buy everything after someone right. else took, took all the risk. And it, it, the, the secret sauce in that was companies taking enough shots on goal and it was yep. data. It was, it was, it was, using data to collapse the risk and uncertainty making a discovery and then and then moving on but the that appetite and that the investors that supported that i mean they're they went elsewhere to find uh you know to to find growth that's right right? that's right like they they used to look in energy cosmos today right yeah. like that that doesn't exist the, 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 that type of uh that type of investor at least in the public markets and probably in the private markets um has gone to other sectors uh to yep. to, to find that um yeah and anyway it, it's uh yeah it, it it's it's super interesting to to see how it's all evolved and then you know a lot of uh the former exploration teams that were looking for organic oil and gas opportunities they've morphed into in into the uh, team in, into similar uh, iterations to like the team we have here at Chesapeake um, and it t- taking much smaller quantums or you know uh, s- smaller risks but very calculated uh, you know focused um, focused investments on on a particular thing with with a longer uh, a longer view than than the traditional you know traditionally what the business is looking at so it it, it still happens and and it, and it will happen um and uh you know things things swing back and forth so we'll see when uh when public companies are are incentivized to to take that that sort of risk again and if they're not um yeah 
then it's uh, there's only so much core and, and tier one acreage out there it'll go away and then then what happens I, I believe in uh, efficient markets uh, you know if the price to get the resource out of the ground uh, goes up because uh, the rock's not as good or it's deeper well then the price of the commodity goes up and I, I, I think that the uh, the demand for that uh, especially natural gas uh, isn't going anywhere anytime soon so one good thing about our industry is it's uh, the uh, low prices cure low prices and high prices cure high prices, right? Yeah, that's kind of how that's that goes. The, that's the saying, and and, and the bummer is is the uh, yeah I, I I wish it could be stable. It'd be better for everybody, but uh, it's just that's just how the cycles work. That's how every that's how every market cycle works, right? Like it's, it's no different than let's say the uh, the stock market or something. So, okay, awesome. Uh, is there anything we didn't cover or any? If if someone's trying to get a hold of uh, Jim, uh, you guys are obviously looking in in sort of the categories we talked about from a startup perspective, off takers that are interested yeah. in sort of working with y'all. Is there any other category of of folks you're um, trying to spend some time with or or visit with? I, I mean, uh, w yeah, we're always open to, to learn new things. I, I, I did say you have to choose what you what you don't do, and that's clearly what we're focused on. Uh, and, and we do have sideboards, but it, but if there's um, you know technologies where you know um, where our expertise, our knowledge, or something beyond our, our capital could bring value to the table uh, that that fit the decarbonization. Uh, uh, theme um, de definitely interested in it so I, I don't want to claim I, I, I know uh, everything out there um, but I think we I think we covered a lot of things and and you know uh, part of my job as well is just is still supporting the um, uh, core business so that that uh, that continues to draw uh, on my time as well um, in addition to the uh, new energy side of things. We're, we've transitioned sort of this year, especially with just, uh, you know, the company focused on the, the, the merger and everything else into executing on the, on the projects that we have in flight and, uh, and seeing those through and um, kind of sitting back and learning and, and figuring out what the next wave is or what, what makes the most sense going forward. So uh, always, always open to, to new ideas. Uh, and learning awesome. something that learning something new because uh, the more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. Which yeah, uh, which yeah. feels uh, sort of infinite. The more time I spend here, too. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, awesome. Uh, what's the best way for anyone to reach you if they want to get a hold of you, Jim? Oh, uh, they can they can find me on LinkedIn and uh, okay, Jim Grant, and um, or they can email you if they have your email. And uh, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <we> can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> get get you, a little finder fee. I love it. it. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, well, awesome. No, it's been fun. Well, it's good. We'll have you on uh, this time next year, and we'll talk through uh, you know how the world has changed between now and then. Yeah. Well, there'll there'll definitely be a lot of change, and uh, I look forward to that conversation. That's awesome. All right. Thanks, Jim. Take care. Thanks, Raj. Bye.